So as the story goes, there was someone, and I don't, I don't remember where I heard this story, so I don't remember the exact context, but the idea was that somebody was asked to pray in front of a large group of people, some kind of an event, and uh, I don't know if it was a pastor or who it was that was asked to pray. And after the prayer, someone came up to the person who did the praying and said, that was the best prayer I've ever heard offered to a group of people. And I always stand back at that comment, and I think to myself, apparently, it never occurred to that person that prayers are supposed to be offered to God and not to a crowd, not to an audience. We don't pray in public for people. We pray in public to give honor and praise and glory to God and maybe to bring people to God. On another occasion, Pastor Joe Wright was asked, uh, to address the opening session of the Kansas State Legislature in 1996. Maybe you remember this story. His prayer, to say the least, was not politically correct. As he stood before the amassed group of political leaders, he began his prayer. He, he, he went like this. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness to seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good. But that's exactly what we have done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and reversed our values. And then as he continued to pray, he said, we confess. And I won't take the time to read it all. If you Google Pastor Joe Wright in the Kansas State Legislature, you'll see this prayer. He began to list off ways that we have just called evil good and good evil. Some legislators, some legislators walked out of the room. Others later condemned the prayer as very inappropriate. Some criticized the Speaker of the House for allowing such radical and extremist views to be presented in for, before the legislature. Prayer went viral, and it's still searched for after all these years. I, I did it just a few days ago. In 1996, it's still going. Following these events, Pastor Wright's church received over 6,000 phone calls, and they got so many boxes of mail that they didn't know where to put it all. Paul, Paul Harvey featured his prayer and the story on his radio show. You see, people don't seem to understand that that prayer is to be addressed to God, and it's, it's, it's our relationship to God, whether it's a group of people or an individual. Prayer is to be addressed to God, and it's, it's not addressed to people. Prayer is intended to reflect God's truth. It's intended to reflect our desire for intimacy with him. Someone, someone made mention of the fact that from Romans 8.15, and I think you'll see it on the screen, that prayer is the language of sonship. That we're his kids, and that we have the privilege of going and, and addressing the, the creator of the universe, the king of all the nations. We have the privilege of going into his throne room and calling him daddy. That's prayer. So as we come back to the Sermon on the Mount where we've been spending our time the last few months we come back to that teaching, Jesus gives a stern warning to his disciples concerning the way that they're to live out their God-given righteousness in him. Last week, we saw how this warning 
applied to our giving and to our generosity. Jesus warned us not to display our giving for the approval of people. And if we do, we won't receive any, any commendation from God no matter how much we give of our resources. So moving along in the teaching, Jesus turns his warning and his teaching to the topic of prayer. Apparently, according to Jesus, there's a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray. We'll see that our prayer posture is not to draw attention to ourselves, but to God. Neither are we to heap up meaningless phrases as if God is impressed by our many words. Many of us, and dare I say most of us, are reluctant to say we're experienced or experts in the areas of prayer. It's something that we just all take for granted, but when we get down to it, we're not sure how it all works. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus helps his disciples with some cautions concerning prayer and also some foundations to base our prayer life on. At the end of the teaching, he lays out the example of what we call the Lord's Prayer. We'll get into that next week. But for now, let's listen in that Jesus teaches his disciples and us about this important aspect of life in the kingdom of heaven, and that is prayer. So turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. So we'll put in at verse 5. I'm going to read all the way through the end of this passage, which is verse 15, but we're only going to do the first part of it this week. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus adds on this teaching, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. <clears throat> Let's go back to verse 5. And when you pray, last week we heard the warning that Jesus gave concerning charitable giving. We're not to make a show of it, not to make a big display of it. But we're also reminded that giving Charity and generosity, we're all assumed. They're part of our walk in faith, so it's not about the giving or the charity. That's all assumed. It's part of what we do. It's part of our obedience to God. In the same way, today, prayer is assumed. Prayer is an integral part of our relationship to God. Jesus doesn't say, if you want to, or it's not necessary, but if you pray, if you go ahead and do that, he says, when 
you pray. Every relationship we're involved with requires talking, requires discussion, requires, requires interchange. It's no different with God. Speaking, listening, dialoguing, it's all foundational in our relationship with God. Prayer reveals our dependence on God. It expresses our gratitude to God. It, it opens our heart to his leading, and we can could, we could continue listing the things that prayer is and does in our life. It's an essential part of our Christian faith. So Jesus says, when you pray. So the issue in this passage isn't our need to pray. It's how we pray. So Jesus gives us two warnings in this passage, and I'd like to, I'd like to camp on those two warnings before we move on to the teaching and the encouragement. He gives us two warnings regarding the how and the motivation of our prayer. So let's read this again, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. I assume that the hypocrites, the, the hypocrites referred to here are an allusion to the religious leaders of the day. I think that's a safe assumption. It's the same warning that Jesus gave about them in the giving portion of this teaching. The idea means, hypocrite, the idea means to put on a face, to pretend, to put on an act, to put on a show, to put on a display. Our first clue to their motive, their motive is that they love to stand and pray. Underline love. They live for this. To love, they love to stand and pray. There's, there's no issue with the standing part. It was a common posture of prayer then, as it is today. There's nothing wrong with praying either. So what's the issue? The issue is the motive. It's, it's their motive to, to draw attention to themselves. They love to. These are the ones who say, pick me, pick me, when it's time to be called out. Prayer in the synagogue was both personal and private, and it was corporate as well. They, they prayed together. They, they were led in prayer. They also prayed privately, much like our worship services today. Boy, today was a great example of, of all of that, those ideas of prayer mixed together. I really appreciate that opportunity this morning. In the synagogue of the day, if you were chosen to come up, and, come up front and pray, it was a, it was a high honor. For some who seek the intention of it, this honor was turned around to be a, a public display of their own piety, of their own religiosity. It was less about God and more about them. In fact, the standing posture, the standing posture, though it's, it's harmless in itself, and we, we stand when we pray, nothing wrong with it in itself. It's, it's a generic idea. But the standing posture, when somebody loves to do this in front of people and loves to draw attention to themselves, the standing posture would, it would, itself, would, it would lend itself to someone being, big word alert, ostentatious. To having all the eyes of, on the person praying instead of on God. It's like, look at me. Look at me. Jesus went further. He said, you know, they would they'd even pray on the street corners this was not a usual practice in, in, the, in the nation of Israel, but if the call to prayer came and you happened to be on the, prayer cor in the street corner, you would drop all, you do, all that you're doing and stop and pray. 
It's a perfect opportunity to display our skills with public prayer and to display our piety before others. So the idea here, when Jesus said they pray on the street corner, the idea is the hypocrites would sometimes purposely, this is what we, this is what we believe was happening, they would purposely set themselves in a public place when there was a call to prayer, and voila, I'm here in front of all of you, and I guess I'll pray. They were drawing attention to themselves. And what does Jesus say? Don't pray like these guys. If your prayer habits are more about you, if they're more about displaying your faith, if they're more about displaying your religious standing and your piety, God will not hear or see or reward. Doesn't care. Goes on to say, as he did with charitable giving, he said, you know, when they do that, the applause of the people is their full reward, not the inclination of God towards their prayer. That's a pretty shallow reward. Go down to verse 7. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't pray as the Gentiles do. The key idea here is empty phrases. It includes the idea of repetition. It's saying the same thing over and over again. I looked up some different religions and how they, they view the idea of prayer. In Buddhism, for example, worshipers pray but I was struck by the, the observation that they don't pray to a specific deity or a person. They pray to the spiritual nature of the universe. Key in their effectiveness in their prayer is the idea of a mantra, picking up a phrase and repeating it over and over and over again. Several religions do this. Even in our own neighborhood right here in Chanhassen with Ekankar, Singing the name of God, Hugh, over and over again is a form of prayer. Sing it over and over again. You'll see it on bumper stickers sometimes. Sing Hugh. But Jesus said it amounts to empty phrases, and God doesn't hear. Another form of this pagan worship includes the speaking of the names of deities. And if you think about this for a moment, in the pagan worship of the day, how many deities were there? Multitudes of deities. And I, has anybody heard an, a, an absolute number for the deities in Hinduism? It, it's well up over a million gods. So if you take that idea back to this, this time in church history, in salvation history, they had to, when they said their prayers to their, their gods, small g, they had to name off as many gods as they could. Prayers got really long. I pray to the name of, 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 and they're just hoping, hoping that somebody is paying attention. They're praying that somebody is listening at that moment. So if you list off 10 different gods, you're hoping one of them somehow is awake and turns his or her head face towards you and listens to your prayer.
That's part of the empty phrases as well. And another form of this empty phrase idea is that you're making deals with the gods, small g. So along with naming their names and trying to catch the attention of one of their gods at least, then, then you also make deals. You say, by the way, I made a great sacrifice to you. I gave so much money. I sacrificed an animal. I, I went to the temple. I worshiped in your name. I, I offered a sacrifice of incense at your, at your image. Or I did this or I did that, and I know that you, such and such a God, are pleased with this. So therefore, and the, the relationship is not an intimate personal relationship anymore. It's a contractual relationship. I did this, therefore you, fill in the blank name of God, therefore you need to do this for me. And so their prayers became empty phrases, repetitions, calling out to gods who don't exist. Look at 1 Kings. We'll go back here a couple of times. Keep your, keep your finger in Matthew chapter 6. 1 Kings chapter 18, you'll recognize this story. This is the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18. If you remember the story, the prophets of, they set up this, this contest between the prophet Elijah challenging his credibility and his God to all the other deities that the, the prophets of Baal were worshiping. And Elijah said, okay, well, here's what we'll do. We'll set up a, well, you set up your sacrifice. You set up an offering. <clears throat> You place a bull on an altar, and you call out, your, call out to your gods, and, uh, and we'll see which god rains down fire on their sacrifice, and I'll do the same thing. Right? You remember the story? Say yes. Okay, good. Are you awake this morning? Okay. Verse 25, chapter 18. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. You can't light it on fire. Your God has to. And they took the bowl that was given them. Now listen to this. And they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. Okay. Saying, oh, Baal, answer us. Over and over and over again. But there was no voice. And no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud. Say it louder. Say it more often. For he is a God. Either, this gets to the heart of it, for he is a God, small g. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself. He's in the bathroom. Or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. Listen to that. Remember that. He must be awakened. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. Did you catch that? They raved on. Empty phrases. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Jesus said, don't heap up empty phrases as the pagans do, as the Gentiles do. Don't heap up empty phrases. 
The pagan practice was all based on thinking or hoping that they could get their God to wake up, that they could somehow get the attention of their gods, small g. They weren't sure if their gods were listening or not. Neither were they sure if they had the favor of the gods. So they threw as much at them as they could in their prayers, hoping, they threw it all against the wall, hoping that something would stick. Jesus said, don't heap up empty phrases. So let's look at some prayer foundations following those two warnings. Back to Matthew 6. Back to Matthew 6. So from the warnings and from the, the instruction that Jesus gives uh, in this passage on the topic of prayer, we, we can get some crucial insights into the topic of prayer and how we as followers of Christ should approach it, how we do it in, in the kingdom of God. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. How do we live in the kingdom of God? So there's several important lessons, and I'm just going to walk through these. There's much more we could add to it, but let me just see if we can frame the issue a little bit, some of the prayer foundations that we find in here. The first one, first one, find a quiet place. Find a quiet place. And when you're in that quiet place, spend time in God's Word. Meditate. Study. Listen to God. Meditate, study, listen. When, his, when, his word is, when you're reading his word, the Holy Spirit is at work, and he's, he's bringing the word of God to life. He's bringing the words of Jesus to life. He's bringing, he's bringing all of God's counsel to life for you, and he's, he'll bring it into your heart. We're told in Scripture that he, he, he he's listens to God's heart, and he listens to our heart. He's that channel back and forth. So we meditate, we study, we listen to God's word, and then we sit back and we listen to hear what God might be saying. Find a quiet place where you can worship. We, we enjoyed corporate worship this morning, but, and we say this in our, we have one of our six values here at Valley Free is, is worship. And when we say worship, we mean corporate worship. We expect you to be at corporate worship, worshiping together because of the experience we had this morning. It's wonderful. It, 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 it encourages us, strengthens us in our walk with Jesus. But we also are hoping that in, in your time, <coughs> however you have your time with God, however, however your, your faith is walked out in God's Word and, and listening to Him and praying, we hope that your time with Him includes worship in the quietness of your heart in that quiet place. To lift up praises to Him Take the songs that we sang this morning and take them home with you and look them up, look up the lyrics and use them back or, or use the scripture and pray it back to God in worship. Take Psalm 103 that Tom read this morning and use it as a time of worship. So when we gather in that quiet place, we worship and we speak in that quiet place. We, we pour out our heart to God. We, we tell him what's, what's on our mind, what's on our heart. Meditate and study, listen, worship, speak. You could probably add other things to that list, but find a quiet place. Jesus said the God who sees in secret will reward you. He's there with you. By the way, the secret place, 
Uh, if you think my life is busy, my family is busy, my house is busy, the people of Israel and the disciples who Jesus was talking to at the time, they all had the same problems. In fact, they lived in smaller houses, and they had a lot more people in their houses probably, and so find a quiet place was kind of a trick for them just as it is with us, maybe more so. And the idea of the secret place, many commentators believe it means a storeroom because it's the only room in the house that had a lockable door on it. So you go in and you sit on the pile of potatoes. Right? You just go find a quiet place. The second foundation I believe God gives us here, Jesus gives us, is don't draw attention to yourself. Don't draw attention to yourself. Um, when we lived in Romania, we heard lots of stories about the persecuted church, and the Romanian church was extremely persecuted. We saw the story of Richard Wormbrandt some weeks ago, and uh, that was one example of how the church in Romania was persecuted in terrible, terrible ways in the days of communism. But we would hear that, that Christians would gather together if you go to a, especially a Pentecostal church in Romania, they all pray at the same time. And, and for us who like a little bit of order in our worship service, it's a little bit unnerving when everybody's praying at the same time. It sounds a little chaotic. Kind of cool at the same time. But they said whenever we got together to pray, they would come and arrest us. And one of my missionary friends who has a, a strange sense of humor, he said, well, when you got together to pray, did you have to pray so loud? Because it got really loud in their, in their prayer meetings. Pray a little quieter. Don't draw attention to yourself. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah was praying, and, and she, her heart was deeply troubled, if you remember the story of Hannah, and un, in the, her inability to have a child. When Eli, the, the priest, saw her, he said that he accused her of being drunk because she was praying. She was so involved in prayer. But you see, the difference here is Hannah wasn't ostentatious. She was troubled in her spirit. And when he accused her of being drunk, she said, Oh, no, my Lord, I am not, I'm not drunk, but I'm a woman who is troubled in spirit. And this is what she said in 1 Samuel 1, verse 15. But I have been pouring out my soul to the Lord. That's the kind of prayer that God honors. But the praying on the street corner just to draw attention to myself, he doesn't listen. Pray with intention. Pray with intention. Be intentional about your prayer. Pray scripture. Jesus, next week we'll look at it, but in this very same teaching passage, he goes on and gives the outline of the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray scripture. Pray the Beatitudes. Walk through the Beatitudes and give them back to God. David's prayers, the Psalms, and David's prayer when they brought the ark back and things like that, David's prayers are, are huge prayers of worship that we can join in. The Apostle Paul gives in several of his epistles, he prays for those who he's writing to. Ephesians 1 comes to my mind. <coughs> Go through those prayers of the Apostle Paul and use them as your own prayers. Prayer with intention should be conversational. It should be transparent, like, like Hannah's prayer was, pouring out her soul before God, laying it all before God. Lay out your life before God. Lay out your heart before God. Lay out your praise before God. 
when, when I'm involved in, in uh, pre-marriage counseling with a, with a couple who is about to be married, we do something called the, the community temperature reading. And if you like, maybe I'll, I'll post it someplace and you can have this as a tool for your marriage. But I wonder if it doesn't work for prayer as well. The community temperature reading is simply a series of questions. How was your day today? What made you happy today? What gave you difficulty today? What are you frustrated with today? What are your goals for today? It's just a series of questions that help us without being in conflict, without arguing about anything, just to kind of give a report to our, our spouse. And it's an effective tool for communication. It's kind of fun too. But I wonder if that's not part of just living our life before God in prayer. It's laying it all out before him. Pray with authority. Pray with boldness. Pray with confidence. Pray within your identity in Christ Jesus. In all of that, be humble. Listen, go back to 1 Kings chapter 18. And we'll listen to Elijah's prayer in that same context. Verse 36 of chapter 18, 1 Kings. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, and this is his prayer, listen, confidence, authority, humility, identity, it's all in here. Listen to this. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. By the way, why do we, why, do, why, do the old, why in the Old Testament do they begin with God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You know why? Because it shows his faithfulness over the generations. It also is a reminder that God has promised through Abraham. So when they say, oh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're, they're reminding him, you promised this. And I am coming into a relationship with you, God, who has promised these things over the generations. Listen to this. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. There's his relationship to God that I have done all these things at your word. I've done what you said to do. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And then remember what happened. Fire came down and consumed the offering. God answered. But it's all in there. His authority, his identity, we'd say identity in Christ, but he understood who he was in relationship to God. It's all in that prayer. What a great example of prayer. We have to keep going. Listening. Listening. We need to listen to God. I, I wonder, when we think about prayers, when we think about repetition in prayer, does God hear our prayers if we use form prayers? or if we repeat ourselves. Jesus himself used repetition in his prayers at times. I'm thinking specifically in, in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying. Mark 14, verse 39 says, remember, he came back to his disciples. They were sleeping. He went back and prayed. They came back. They were sleeping. He went back and prayed. Mark 14, 39 says, and he went away again, and he prayed saying the same words. So the idea of repetition itself is not bad, but if we're using it to somehow gain God's attention, then it, then it enters into another realm. Can we use form prayers? The Orthodox Church has the mercy prayer. Have you ever heard about the mercy prayer? It's simply this, Lord, have mercy. 
Lord, have mercy. And we know the Spirit, the Spirit speaks for us with groans that are too deep for words when we, when we don't have words to say. There are times, there are times when, when I, I, life is, is so something. A situation is so something that it's very appropriate to just say, Lord, have mercy. I use that, and I find it very effective in those moments when the words just don't come, and I think it just encapsulates everything. Lord, give me words. Lord, give me grace. Lord, give me truth. Lord, give me strength. Lord, have mercy. Is it ever okay to pray in public? Well, Jesus did. When he fed the 5,000, he prayed. He gave thanks to his father for it. He, he prayed, um, prayed in the garden. He prayed from the cross. He, in Luke chapter 10, he, he prayed uh, when, when the disciples came back from their first missions trip. God, Jesus turned and prayed to God in front of all of them and said, God, I'm so glad you revealed these truths to these your sheep. Jesus prayed in public. King David, he prayed in public a great prayer. And then when the, when the ark was returned to Jerusalem, Nehemiah and Ezra, when they, when in, in Ezra, when they discovered the word of God, when they were restoring the temple in the Old Testament, they found the word of God and they prayed public prayers to celebrate that. They read the word of God out loud. Moses, after the exodus, when they crossed the, when they crossed the sea and God had provided a way for them to escape from Egypt, Moses wrote, famous prayer, praising God for their great escape. So yes, public prayer is, quite, is, is called for. So when is public prayer godly? When, when have we crossed a line? When, when are we doing it for God's sake and not for our own sake? And I, as I think about this, I think about public worship. It's appropriate. We're doing public prayer today. When worship is the context, it's appropriate to pray in public. When, when we are called upon for corporate repentance, it's appropriate to pray. When we're, when we're celebrating something, even, even if our community gathers together, sometimes as a police chaplain, I'm called to pray in various circumstances. It's very appropriate to pray in public. This is not a, this is not a prohibition of praying in public. And it's a public testimony when we pray in public, people get to hear about our relationship with God. People get to hear about what salvation means. People get to hear about God's faithfulness, his nature, his character. It's a public testimony when we pray publicly. As a police chaplain, I remember going to a home. I got a call one, late one night. Uh, Pastor Mike, could you come? Someone is, someone is having a, a heart attack and everybody's on scene, and the family has asked for a chaplain to come. So I hopped out of bed, put on my chaplain clothes, and, and headed up to Jonathan someplace. And when I got there, the fire trucks were there, the police cars were there, all the lights were going. It seems like all of our emergency services were there. And I walked into the house, and there was an older gentleman laying on the floor, and they had the automatic car, uh, CPR machine going on him. And they were pumping away on him, trying to get him to come back. And they didn't have a pulse, and they hadn't had a pulse for a long time. And the, the police asked me to gather the family in a room and, and so we, to get him away from the scene. And we went into a bedroom, 
and I said, would you like me to pray? And they said, yes, please pray. And we prayed right then and there, public prayer, prayed for the family. And as we came back out a few minutes later, or somebody came in and reported to, I don't remember what happened, somebody said, we've got a pulse. We've got a pulse. So I stayed around a little while longer, and then they began to transport him because they had a pulse after so many minutes that they, didn't, they thought he was gone. And his wife said to the whole room, he was dead. And when the chaplain prayed, he came back to life. Now, I don't know what goes into all of that. And my evangelical side is going, well, what, what, what? But the fact of the matter is, it all worked in that sequence, and God somehow intervened, and it was a public testimony. A family said, God answered his prayer. Isn't that something? Another, oh my goodness. I didn't, didn't realize it was so late. Okay. It's, it'd, be, it'd be okay if the air conditioner was working, wouldn't it? So let me give you another illustration real quick. Okay. All right. You're going you're gonna to regret that. <laughs> Got another call. Mike, could you come? Uh, we have to do a death notification. Someone had been killed here in Chaska with a, an uh, automobile accident. And uh, so I went, I got, an officer came and picked me up. We went to the home of someone. We, we had to tell them the bad news that their loved one had been tragically killed a few minutes ago. Well, they were regular customers of the police department. They were on the frequent flyer list for the police department. The officer said, can we come in? And they said, no. We won't, allow, we won't allow you in our house. And so he said, well, please come out here. We stood on the porch, and the officer delivered the news, what had happened. And so after that, then the walls came down, and we were able to go inside the house, and we just stood around for a while. And, and uh, I always am assessing the situation. How do we handle this? How can I help them through this very difficult moment? And as I often do, I said, well, can, can I pray for you? Can we, can we just stop for a minute in the middle of all this craziness? Can we just stop and pray? And they said, no. And a lot of people do. A lot, a lot. Some people say no. Most people say yes. So as it happened, we had to go tell somebody else the news. So the officer and I left, and we came back about a half hour later with another member of their family. We had transported them. And in that conversation... I said, would you like me to pray with you? And this time, they didn't say yes at all. They immediately gathered in a circle in their living room, and they held hands. I didn't ask them to do any of that. They gathered in a circle, they held hands, and we prayed. What do you think that prayer meant to that family at that time? Prayer is a public testimony. Let's go on to prayer insights. Give me a few more minutes. What kind of insights? I, I'm thinking, what does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about God? He loves us. He loves us. My first thought is he, he is, to use a new phrase, he is woke. Am I using that term right? I should have... I should have asked about this first. Yeah, it's okay, Josh? Okay. It's a ridiculous statement. 
it's a ridiculous statement, but I want you to put it into context here. Stop laughing at me now. Maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe I shouldn't have used this word. A, a, a well-known politician just this week changed his views on abortion. Remember that? Radically went one swing to the other, and he said, now I'm woke. Because that's the new term, right? So maybe it doesn't apply to God because God never changes his mind. God didn't wake up one day and said, oh, 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 I think we need to change that. So it's just kind of a little cultural phrase I throw in here. God is awake. You see, the prophets of Baal for, for Elijah, the prophet Elijah, they were wondering if he was awake or if he'd gone to the bathroom someplace and wasn't paying attention. And for the deities in, in the times of Jesus in the Roman Empire, they're, they're throwing all the names at the deities, trying to try to wake up. God is awake. But God is awake. God knows everything about you. He knows your needs. He knows everything. And here's the second thing. He is inclined to hear and respond. Why? Because we are made holy in Christ Jesus. We are made righteous before him. That's why this whole section is on don't display your righteousness in front of other people. We are made righteous before God, and therefore we can walk into the throne room of God and say, Daddy, I have a need Daddy, I just want to sit on your lap. Daddy, I just want to say I love you. Daddy, I just need to hear I love you from you. Daddy, he is inclined to hear and respond. We're allowed access to the king, and God is our father. He is our Abba, Father, Daddy. He sees in secret. Jesus tells us the, our father who sees in secret, he knows what you need. Psalm 139, verse 4 says, Before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Compare that to the hip hypocrites who wanted people to see them. Compared to the Gentiles who hoped that their gods would see them. Jesus said, The Father who sees in secret sees you. He sees in secret. Another insight is that prayer is a recognition of his term. I, I don't come like the Gentiles do. I don't come like the pagans do and say, listen, I did all this for you. I did this for you. I did this for you. Well, wait, maybe we do do that sometimes. But I don't need to. You see, I don't come to God on my terms. I come to God on his terms. Somebody, somebody say yes. I come to God on his terms. We forget that often. But prayer means that I'm coming to God and I'm saying, God, you're right, your ways are right, your purpose is perfect, your grace is sufficient, and I come to you on your terms, God. I don't have to remind him of what wonderful people we are or I am. I don't need to remind him what sacrifices I've made on his behalf <coughs> that he might owe me something. He rewards. And I think about this way. He said it with charitable giving. He says it here with prayer. He says, the God who sees in secret will reward you. What does he reward us with? You can make your own list. This is my list. He rewards us with his presence. He rewards us with intimacy with him. He rewards us with revelation of his will. He reveals himself to us. He says, this is the way, walk in it. He reveals his purpose for us. We're told that the Spirit, Spirit reminds us of our identity and the promises in Christ. That's a reward. The Spirit convicts us of sin, 
convicts us of grace, convicts us of righteousness that's found only in Jesus Christ. That's a reward of sin, a reward of prayer, and not of sin. Ephesians chapter 1. This is one of the prayers of Paul. You, you just, here it is. What, what's the reward? Listen to this. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. There's the reward. He shows you who he is. Takes you deeper and deeper into his, his heart having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. You want to know what his reward is? Study that prayer, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1. You see, God is a God of revelation. He's been speaking since the beginning of Genesis. Somebody at the conference this week said, uh, God is a God who speaks, and if you don't believe me, just go back to Genesis chapter 1, the very first page, he speaks. If you go to the last page, he's still speaking. If you go to Revelation, the very intro of, of Revelation, is this is, the, this is the revelation of what? Jesus Christ. God speaks. When we pray, we enter into his desire to speak to us. Enter into his presence, his person, his purposes. Brothers and sisters, that's the gospel. God has spoken through the prophets, he's spoken through the law, and finally he spoke through his son Jesus. He came to make a way so that we could pray, so that we could join him in fellowship. Brothers and sisters, we don't need to beg. We don't need to wonder if he hears. We don't need to question whether he wants to act in our lives. The gospel says that he stands with his face towards us with his arms wide open, and he'll do whatever it takes, cross in parentheses, to remove obstacles in our relationship. That's the power of prayer. Next week, we'll look at how Jesus taught us to pray further. I'm going to just take a moment. Take a moment. If God's saying something to you right now, would you just listen? Close your eyes and think through his word and what, what he has spoken to us. Holy Spirit, we are told that you are, you have, one of your roles is to convict us of, of sin and righteousness. Help us to clear away those obstacles that those things that don't belong to you, those obstacles that stand in the way of our relationship and reveal to us our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, take us deeper into our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Reveal his word to us. Speak to us. And as we move through this week, Lord, I, 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 my prayer for all of us is that we are listening, that we are inclined to you, knowing that you are inclined to us, ready to hear, to love, to give, 
that we might walk in the fullness of you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. On your way rejoicing.